You're listening to Grace and Fire, brought to you by Emerging Women. Today, my guest is Heather Ashamara. Heather Ashamara is the founder of TOSI, the Toltec Center of Creative Intent, which fosters local and global communities that support authenticity, awareness, and awakening. She is dedicated to inspiring depth, creativity, and joy by sharing the most potent tools from a variety of world traditions. She brings an open-hearted, inclusive worldview to her writings and teachings, which are a rich blend of Toltec wisdom, European shamanism, Buddhism, and Native American ceremony. She is the author of Warrior Goddess Training, The Toltec Path of Transformation, and she's the co-author of No Mistakes, How You Can Change Adversity into Abundance. In today's episode, Heather Ash and I spoke about her background and how she was attracted initially to earth-based spirituality, her concept of warrior goddess, the Toltec tradition and the four agreements as presented by Don Miguel Ruiz, dealing with the inner critic, using the four agreements to enrich creative and sexual energy, and finally, the difference between intuition and the mental habits of the mind. Here is my conversation, Becoming a Warrior Goddess, with the warrior goddess herself, Heather Ash Amara. Hello and welcome, Heather Ashamara. Hi, Chantal. So glad to be here with you. I'm so happy to be talking to you about this topic of our warrior goddessness. Before we launch into that concept of what even is a warrior goddess, I would love to hear more about your background and how you came into this work, a little bit about you know, your life and your connection to both the goddess and the warrior and how they came together would be great. Mm -hmm. Yes, I had an unusual childhood in that I was raised in Southeast Asia. And by the time I was 15, I'd been around the world multiple times, seen all different sorts of cultures. So I was really blasted open as a kid. And when I moved to the States to go to college, I felt really disconnected in the sense of how do I fit in and really plugged into politics to start, and that was definitely warrior energy. But I realized after being an activist and marching for everything and fighting that I was angry and that everybody I was around was also angry. And so I knew this isn't exactly what I'm going for. I want that sense of connection, but this isn't it. And that was when I started exploring different spiritual traditions. And I decided to go back to my roots, which was Europe, which is where my family is from, and to explore what were the earliest earth-based traditions in Europe. And so started exploring European shamanism, and I really had this feeling sense of coming home. And that was where I was introduced to the idea of the goddess, of a female deity, which was so affirming, and to the cycles of nature, and really tuning into life and beginnings and endings and loving all of it. And there was a certain point where I felt, again, something's missing. I'm missing some peace. And I had a dream about this man. And the dream was, this person is going to change your life. I remember thinking, right, where am I going to meet this person? And a week later, someone came into my office and said, oh, my gosh, you have to meet this man. And my whole body said, I'm not ready. And it took me about a year. And that, that human happened to be Don Miguel Ruiz, who's the author of The Four Agreements. And at the time that I met him, there were no Four Agreements. It hadn't been written yet. But I remember walking into the community and just having that sense again of, yes, this is the next piece. And so that's really where a new type of warrior energy came in, which is the warrior of spirit, of the heart. And... I learned so much through that apprenticeship with Miguel and then through teaching with him around the places that we get stuck with our beliefs and our agreements and how to get really free on the inside. So that's a little synopsis of my journey. And so I want to unpack a couple of things that you said. One was that you were drawn to earth-based spirituality. 
What do you mean by that? And first of all, where was this in Europe where you got connected to goddess energy? It's really throughout Europe. It's a Celtic tradition, yeah, that is a lot of what I worked with. But throughout Europe, there were the wise women. So this was pre-Christianity. It was the ways that we as humans, and this is true around the world, all religion is based on Earth's traditions that predate it where we didn't have electricity, when we didn't have all the things we have now, and there was a, an incredible connection to the earth and the cycles of the earth. And so in earth-based tradition around the world, the commonality is the honoring of the cycles, which we don't really do in our modern world. We're very much linear. We get from here to there, and there's steps to get there. But we forget that there's places of real depths that we need to go to to slow down. There's places where there's an ending that's needed. There's places where we want to nurture something. And that within us, especially as women, we thrive when, we're, when we honor nature and the cycles of nature and realize we're part of nature and that those cycles can teach us how to slow down, how to get more present, how to open our heart, how to let go. Yeah. So another thing you mentioned was the Toltec tradition. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, the Toltecs were a group of people that lived in South and Central Mexico, and they were really interested in perception. How do we create our reality? And one of the foundations of Toltec work is that we're all dreaming and that as dreamers, we can transform how we're in relationship with our dreams. The word Toltec means artist of the spirit, and I love that, really recognizing we're all artists and how to create the most beautiful art with our life and how to be creative in how we're living our life. And, you know, forgive me here, because when you say that we're all dreamers, are you talking about, is this a body of work that's based on dream work, like lucid dreaming, or? Such a great question. It's about the fact that we're dreaming all the time. So we do dream when we sleep, but the truth is when we wake up, we're still dreaming. We're still perceiving the world through a dream. And what I mean by that is how we perceive the world is through the perception, the agreements, the beliefs that we have. And so somebody who was raised in Los Angeles with a particular framework dreams one way versus someone that was raised in Kenya with no running water dreams another way. And all of us as humans, regardless of what our culture, what our religion, what, our, what we learned in school, each of us has the capacity to wake up, to become lucid in this current dream, and to take a step back and to say, okay, what can I shift here? How do I want to transform my dream? We all have that power, regardless of how we were raised. And that's the power we have as humans, which is so beautiful when we realize that inner, really come back inside to say, what is it that I want to create with what's here? Right. And so if I'm following this line, the four agreements basically is a way of shifting our perception and shifting our dream in alignment to our deepest truth through these four agreements or frameworks. Am I correct? Yes. Okay. Yeah, that's a beautiful way to say it. Yeah. And that they're new agreements that help us become conscious of the agreements that we've made that we're living from, but that we don't really recognize. And how I see it is that for we create conscious agreements and unconscious agreements. So an example of a conscious agreement is I'm going to work at this job for six months and this is how much I'll be paid and I'll show up at 9 a.m. So conscious agreements or the conscious agreements we make in a relationship. Mm -hmm. And then there's unconscious agreements, which is it's almost like the conscious agreements are the tip of the iceberg. And then underneath the water are all these unconscious agreements that we've taken on. Sometimes we don't even realize we have them. A lot of times we don't even realize we have them. And those are the agreements like you're in the car with your mom and you're singing and you're really happy and you're six years old and your mother says, oh my God, stop singing, please. And immediately you make an agreement. Oh, I have a bad voice. I should never sing. I shouldn't express myself. 
and that gets lodged in our being. And maybe your mom just had a migraine. She loved your voice, but she had a migraine. But then as an adult, someone says, oh, sing to me. And the immediate response is, I can't sing. And it's because there's a false agreement. So we have tons of these that limit us. And that's really the work is to become aware of what the agreements are and shift them. And that's why the four agreements are so beautiful. It's four new agreements that help us direct our lives in a new way and also see where the unconscious agreements that are holding you back. Right, right. Right, because that's so helpful. It's like, that's the golden nugget is like to figure out, I mean, I'm all for new agreements, but I want to know what's the dust balls under my bed and in my closet. (laughs) I want to get the broom out. I want to see them and I want to like, you know, get rid of them. So maybe we should, and I'm curious to hear, you know, that this real traditional, these are the four agreements. I think we need to just for the listeners, get this out on the table, but then, you know, I really want to get into this, your perspective on it, which is a very feminine interpretation. I want to start getting into that a little bit. So maybe you could just give us a real like one, two, three, four, here are the four agreements so that we're all have like a common language. Yes. So the four agreements are be impeccable with your word, which really means don't use your word against yourself. Don't take anything personally, which is most of our favorite, most difficult to do. Don't make assumptions and always do your best. Mm -hmm. And very powerful ways of breaking apart the old agreements. And how I've seen it is that, you know, sometimes People will ask me, well, how do you do it? It's so hard. And it's really not. It's as simple as cleaning a closet. So if you imagine you've had a closet, and in that closet you've been shoving all these things you haven't known what to do with. And at some point it gets really full and it's kind of hard to shut the door. And if you're going to clean out your closet, what's the first thing you would need to do? And the yeah, I thought you were asking me. I'm like, okay, this yeah. is what I do. I'm doing con Marie. So no, go ahead. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> so many of us know, like, the first thing really is the willingness to open the door. Yeah. The willingness to go, okay, I'm willing to see what's in there. So you open the door, and what's tempting is to rearrange to make it look better. That's not really cleaning your closet. So the first thing is you have to pull everything out. Mm-hmm. And this is where most of us get stuck. Because we open the door, we pull everything out of the closet, and then we feel completely overwhelmed. We start looking out our window at our neighbor and go, oh, my God, my neighbor doesn't have this much stuff. It's not fair. Or I, it's just too much. And what we usually do is we end up shoving it back in the closet. If you're really going to clean your closet, which is about that metaphor of cleaning your mind, because the mind is where we have all of these old agreements and beliefs and strategies that are really heavy and that weigh us down. And so to open the door is the willingness to question everything you think and to be curious. I'm such a big proponent of curiosity. And then to pull everything out of the closet, which means to start to look at all of the beliefs and to see how are they working for me or not working for me. Because when we clean a closet, you'll pick up something that you'll, you'll think, okay, my mom gave this to me 10 years ago. I never liked it. It's going in the recycle box. It's going to Goodwill. And you pick up other things that you realize you really wish still fit, but they don't. Or things that you realize that you took on from your dad and you thought you should be wearing, but it doesn't work for you anymore. And then you're also going to find things that you look at and you go, yeah, love it. This is awesome. This is me. You can put that back in the closet. So it's the same thing with our internal beliefs. You will find some beliefs as we're exploring that work that, that we say, yeah, this feels like me. This, this feels solid. I like this one. Mm-hmm. And other beliefs that you'll realize, I've been carrying this around and it's not even mine. Mm-hmm. You can put those ones down. And that sounds so easy. Put it down. But that's really what my work is about is helping us all to become aware and use our life as the reflection of our agreements and then tools for how to do that, really specifically how to do that. Okay. So when I look at the agreements, I'm just going to be honest with you. I've, you know, dug into this and, 
every time I always feel like someone's wagging a finger at me. You know what I mean? Because I don't know. It's like, it's hard to be impeccable with your word. And, you know, I mean, I get the nothing personal, but like, really? And then the assumptions totally get that and always do your best. It just feels like so much pressure, right? And so I'm curious to see how, you know, just some examples that takes the edge off of this, you know, big layer of what I see of accountability. Like I'm already like, I'm a mom, I'm an entrepreneur, I'm working on my consciousness, I'm meditating, I'm doing, you know, what I can, but there's, you know, a sense around here that I'm never going to measure up. Yeah, yeah. And it's really easy to fall into that with really a lot of self-help books. And what I, what I tell people when I know about myself is that anytime we read a self-help book or an inspirational book or even a biography about somebody that inspires us, who's always reading along with us is our judge. Mm-hmm. And as women especially, we have such fierce judges. We want so hard to um, be perfect. You know, I know I, I feel like I walk around with this image of perfection of who Heather Ash should be if she was polished and perfect and spiritual. And I'm constantly having to come back to who is Heather Ash, really, rather than who I think I'm supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And so with, the, with especially the first agreement and the fourth, so do your best and be impeccable, it does, it's really easy to go into this place of like, there's no way I'm ever going to be impeccable, mm-hmm. which is true. There's no way we're going to be impeccable all 100% of the time. But really underneath what that agreement really is saying, my point of view, is be honest with yourself. Uh-huh. Be honest with what's true for you. And keep sharing that with yourself. It doesn't mean you have to share that with everybody else. But that place of continue to strive to be honest. And to love your honesty and your own truth. Mm-hmm. Even when keep other people don't love it, even when you don't love it so much, that in that way, then we are being, bringing ourselves into a new container is how I think about it. And that container is, I will love everything in this being that I am. I will love the places that I feel fearful, the places that I feel vulnerable, the places I feel tender. I love the places I feel absolutely strong. And so we don't use our word against ourselves by saying things like, oh, you should have figured that out already. Or what's wrong with you? You didn't meditate for an hour today. You are such not the spiritual person. To be able to say, oh, sweetie, wow, good mistake. Or, yep, we're still dealing with this thing. It's come around again. There's a cycle. So that we're supporting ourselves with our word. And that's my passion. It's how to help us to become the best cheerleaders on the inside for ourselves that we can be. And most of us are the worst critics. Well, I think also there's just an, it's not really just the word, because it's also, sometimes it doesn't come to word format. It's just an internal energetic assault on that's ourselves. That's Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. Right, of just shame and feeling less than, and God, it's like, oh, you have to be vigilant. So that's why I like, you know, on one hand, I was saying, God, I just feel like I'm being held accountable. On the other hand, there's an energy of the sword here. When you say, be impeccable with your word, that feels like it's needed. Like we Mm -hmm. need to really get, you know, get the sword out here and combat those pattern that inner, I mean, you know, I'm not a big fan of the inner critic. I know some people say that that can be a motivator, but I'm a big fan of self-love and self-forgiveness. And I feel like it requires a certain vigilance. It does. It does. And that's the warrior energy. That's the show up for yourself Mm -hmm. and bring the sword out, like you said. And we all know when we get into an energetic or into a word train where I call disaster mind, Uh where a mind is looking at the past and looking at the things we did wrong and judging us for it or looking to the future at what might go wrong or where we might screw up or what horrible thing might happen. We're really good at disaster mind. And we have to guard ourselves to not go down those, those pathways. And we usually know where the pathway ends up. And so what I've found is if we can start to really witness 
so much of this work is around becoming aware from a compassionate witness place to watch where does my energy, where do my words, where do my thoughts go? And is that really where I want them to go? Right. And we do have the power to stop ourselves and say, nope, don't go down that path. You know where it goes. Stay here. Get present. Where do you want to put your attention? Right. Now, so let's keep kind of going through these because I want to like really understand them for everybody. And don't take things personally. Don't make it personal. What You know, like that's hard. Super hard. So hard. <laughs> yes. But, I mean, I would love to see what the traditional view is and what's the goddess take on this because I want to pull every tool out of the toolbox for this one. Mm-hmm. Yes. So the, the traditional, say, the Toltec view is that everybody is dreaming. Everybody has their own dream. And so nothing anybody does is about your dream. It's about their dream. Uh-huh. So in a great concept to have really difficult to put into practice. Yes. And I've seen so many people use this agreement against themselves. Well, I should just not take it personally. So for me, from the, the warrior goddess point of view, from the how to be in relationship with who we are, to learn to honor, oh, I just took that personally, that we're able to name, yep, I took that personally, and to notice what does it feel like in our bodies. I found it really powerful for us to get out of our head and get into our bodies to feel what we're experiencing. So with something that we take personally, you just take a moment to imagine a time when you took something personally. So I'll ask everybody that's listening to do this for a second. What does it feel like in your body when you take something personally? God, I feel nauseous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like I've been punched in the stomach sometimes yeah. and contracted. Uh, I've heard other people say that they feel they get cold, that they feel uh, scared, that they feel like they have to defend themselves. So if we, if we start with the body and go, okay, I feel nauseous, I feel contracted, then we can say with ourselves and listen for what's the agreement beneath that's causing me to take this personally. Well, that's the hard one. That's the hard one. Yeah. But if we start to look and ask ourselves first to be with ourselves, like, okay, I'm feeling nauseous, take a breath, be with ourselves, love ourselves. I took it personally, period. And it's not, I took it personally, I'm bad. It's just, I took it personally. I'm learning how to not take things personally. But in order to learn, we have to honor, I just took it personally and name it. There we, and then we're being impeccable. Yay, I'm doing the first agreement. Yeah, that's good. I like that. I like that a lot. Mm-hmm. But the belief thing, right? So let's say there's, you know, a coworker that just, you know, totally attacked another coworker and that, whatever, they, you know, totally attacked me or maybe they're having mm-hmm. a bad day. And my belief is that I've done something wrong. I've let this person down. Or they're really mad at me because I'm underperforming. Is that the yes. right sequence of events? Okay. Yeah, that would be great. So then you would start with feeling those. And mm-hmm. the first one that you said, I'm not doing it right, like I've done something wrong, yeah. that is such a deep one that I think almost all women have. Oh, my God. That's a like, core deep agreement. So that one's not going to go away like that. Oh, mm-hmm. good, I see. You know, we can't talk ourselves out of that one. That's a nurture and love ourselves through it. So, oh, hi, sweetie. You're feeling not good enough. You're feeling like you've done something wrong. Hi there. Just show up with that part of ourselves. I mean, you don't, you don't recommend that we go in and, like, try and figure out if those beliefs are true? I don't with that one right away. Okay. Because... Maybe they're true. I, would, <laughs> that I don't know. Never true. Yeah, that one's never true. But okay. there's no amount of words that I can say to anybody else that's going to help them realize that's not true. Got it. And there's probably no amount of words you're going to be able to say to yourself mm-hmm. that will get you to go, oh, right, no, I, I'm, I'm not doing anything wrong. Because it's a deep emotional agreement. That's one that I think most women have that's just been passed down through the generation. Okay, but what starting about... Starting with... Okay, mm-hmm. go ahead. Keep going. No, just, just starting with... Within this culture... 
the um, Adam and Eve story. Like, Eve blew it. And even if we weren't raised in a Christian family, that is a deep agreement that's just been passed down in our culture. It's part of the dream that we're in. Mm-hmm. So it's not we can't change it. It's that changing it's going to take time and awareness and loving ourselves mm-hmm. through it. Mm-hmm. So instead of saying you shouldn't feel like you're doing it wrong, you should get rid of that agreement, to say, hi, sweetie, I know that there's that feeling again, and I'm with you, and it's not true. But we, we love ourselves through it. Mm-hmm. And then we can look at, okay, what other beliefs might be there? Once we're with ourselves and we're saying, I'm here, I got you, I see that you're scared, I see that you think you're doing it wrong again, mm-hmm. then we can go, well, what else is here? And a lot of times there's things like, people should never get angry. People shouldn't be angry at me, but people should never get angry. That's an easier one to let go of. Once you're holding yourself and you're in relationship with yourself in this new way, then you can go, oh, right, she has a right to be angry. Mm-hmm. And what needs to be communicated here from a clear place? Got it. That's a big one. That, that per- like mm-hmm. Giving people permission to have their perspective is what you're talking about here. That yes, yeah, to respect their the dream. Yes, that's the key. Respect their dream. They get to choose. They get to choose. If we want to be free and get to choose how we want to be, it means we get to allow everybody else to be how they're going to be. That's how we learn to not take it personally. Is we respect everyone's dream. We might not like it, and we might choose to remove ourselves, but we respect they have a choice. And they're making a choice. Yeah. And from there, then I get to respect, okay, what's my choice? How do I want to be? You know, I was was in a relationship that ended that was very, very intense. And my husband basically stopped talking to me after the relationship ended. And I went through all sorts of things around that. Like, how could he? And, you know, what did I do wrong? So all the questioning. At one point, I just got, you know what? He gets to choose. He gets to choose how he wants to be in relationship with me. I might not like it, but I respect his choice. And that helped me shift to not take it personally any longer. It was his choice. And then I got to choose how do I want to be in relationship with him. Mm -hmm. In the inside, how did I want to be in the relationship with him? Yeah. There's something about don't take things personally that to me equates to I am not going to have an intimate relationship with this person or I won't be as connected. Do you know what mm, I mean? I, I found like... it's actually the opposite. Uh-huh. Yeah. I definitely found it to be the opposite. And it feels like we'll lose something if we don't take it personally. But what I found is that it allows me to love people even more deeply. Got it. Oh, that's so deep. I love that. Mm. Well, I just feel like a weight is lifted off. You know, I mean, assuming that we can like get ninja-like skills in this department, which I'm hoping for. <laughs> um, yes. You know, just in concept, it just takes a huge weight off. You know, carrying that around and trying to figure it out and, you know, the back and forth. And yeah, it's just, it just takes, you, you just become less invested in a way, which is why I was concerned about the lack of personal intimate relationship with another person but I think that not having that stress of trying to figure out what someone else's needs or dream is I just it makes it cleaner it does and we can then show up with them and with ourselves yeah more fully right okay check on agreement number two Number three, this one I've actually tackled and has served me very well. Again, I would love the traditional Toltec view and then also your goddess interpretation on (laughs) not to make assumptions. So not making assumptions is recognizing from Toltec point of view that we have no idea what's happening for anybody else. Again, it goes back to often around relationships, and it's very close linked to don't take anything personally. And that we are really well served when we live in the mystery. 
rather than trying to figure everything out. Our mind wants to be right. It wants to figure things out. It'll fill in scenarios with a story. Even if the story's wrong, it'll feel better. I, I really believe in all of our relationships and business dealings that anytime anything goes wrong, if we just ask ourselves the question, what was the assumption that I made? You can then unravel it and learn how to be different going forward. Mm -hmm. So that's one of my favorite ways to work with assumptions is that any place that I get into a tangle or a knot with something or in a communication, I'll just stop and go, okay, what did I assume? And often, every time, I can track it back and go, oh, there was the assumption. Okay, let the assumption go. And then I open up and I get, I get to show up with what's presenting rather than I, what I think should be happening. It's challenging sometimes, but it's also really fun. And one of the ways that I taught my brain to stop making assumptions is to actually start consciously making assumptions. So anytime I notice myself making assumption around something, I'd make up three or four other stories that might also be true, and I'd make them up really crazy wild. So if I saw somebody walking across the street, that I, my mind said, there's a homeless person. That's an assumption. How do I know that that's a homeless person? Mm-hmm. then I would start doing things like there's a professor dressed up as a homeless person studying homelessness, or there's an alien that just came down to the planet that is dressed, that found this person and that's the suit they're wearing. So I just make stuff up. And uh, that then kind of broke. Yeah. So there's something in the assumptions that also reminds me of, or is linked to this whole unconscious bias issue that we're seeing with women, specifically in larger corporations, but it's happening all over the place. And, you know, also with there's lots of unconscious bias going on. It's not just with women, in terms of getting hired and promoted within organizations. But, you know, it's also with people of color and many different groups. But I have found a similar way to that it's very valuable to check your assumptions and to kind of come up with backgrounds for people that may not be a match because so many times that's really what happens. We project onto somebody and then you find out that they didn't, you know, maybe they were privileged, but then they were, you know, like whatever, abused or they've had a horrific upbringing, but the whole time I'm working under this other bias that they've you know, had this life. And I think it's a really healthy thing for us to do to encourage specifically diversity in our communities, if nothing else, to check our assumptions. Absolutely. And that's the place of being impeccable where we're willing to tell ourselves the truth of what assumption we're making around some, somebody and then shift it. So to say, oh yeah, I just put them into this little box. Let me now take them out of it and let them be a mystery. Yeah. When we can be honest with ourselves, oh, I just put them into a box, then we can change it. If we say, oh, I never make assumptions, or I never am racist, or I, I'm, I never am biased about things, then we're not telling ourselves the truth because it's deep inside all of us to make stories up based yeah. on what we know. So from the Toltec and your own personal perspective, how deep does this go? Because I love like archetype systems and you know, like the Enneagram or astrology and, you know, kind of seeing patterns and different personality types. And if we're taking this like literally, then we're not really relying on those to work with people in a way that I found very convenient in some of these, you know, the Myers-Briggs and things like that. Yeah, great question. All of those are tools and the tools are fabulous. And it's just a tool. So we can use it as a tool to bring more awareness, to bring more openness. But the moment we start going, but then this is who you are, period, we again create a box. Uh If we link it to not making assumptions, we, we are consciously saying, I'm using this as a tool to gather more information. And then we also open to, and it may not be true all the time, 100% of the time. So it's using models, but not thinking the model is reality. The model is a picture that helps us to understand, and the truth is all humans are much deeper than any model. And yes, it's tremendously, fabulously helpful and fun to learn different models. 
it helps point us in the right direction. Right. Okay. But that's, you know, because when you're saying don't make assumptions and you to live with that level of curiosity for everything, you know, it's like almost like you're relearning how to walk, you know, am I assuming not to get like granular, but that's like an extreme example, but there's got to be some assumptions that we do this to get through our day just to be a human being. Like if I touch this, I'm going to burn myself, you know? Right. And as a firewalk instructor, I can say, and that's not always true. Oh. <laughs> ah, so here's the thing. Interesting. One of the things as a culture we assume is that everyone stops at red lights. We've made an, a cultural agreement that red means stop in the United States, for example. And yet, if I live my life assuming everybody will always stop at a red light, what happens is my likelihood of being in an accident goes up hugely because it's not true. Now, I also don't want to live my life going, nobody's ever going to stop at a red light. That's also an assumption the other direction, and I'm going to live my life in fear. Mm-hmm. But if I can stay open to, I'm not going to assume yes or no. I'm going to assume people will stop, but I'm also going to have a part of me aware that they may not. Uh-huh. And that way we don't get blindsided. We're open to other possibilities. But you're right. We do have to make some assumptions in order to function. But again, don't walk down on that assumption. Hold it lightly. Yeah. And we're going to get into that because a lot of your work, you're actually applying to creativity and not just in a reaction or in like, you know, working with relationship, but also like creating, like you say, the dream that we want. And so... I do like that in the assumption area that you're holding it lightly because I think as women too, we tend to put a cap on what, you know, our limitations, I mean, not our limitations, but what we are capable of. Yes, Um, exactly. Lots of assumptions there that, you know, we're all working to break through. I think men can do this too. It's not just women, but Mm -hmm. yeah. Absolutely. Okay, so we'll get into that creative piece. I just want to make sure we're getting through all four of these agreements. Now, the last one is always do your best. Yes, which is what Don Miguel says makes all the other agreements work. Mm-hmm. So doing our best means being at 100%. And 100% means being with where you are. So 100% isn't a fixed notion this is where we get ourselves in trouble, where we decide what 100% is, is it's our judge deciding what 100% is, or our image of perfection that's deciding what 100% is. And that's not what we're talking about here. 100% is what's true for you in this moment, what's your 100%. And so if I've been sick, if I haven't been sleeping, if I'm scared, my 100% is going to be different than if I am really excited about something and have a ton of energy. And so we honor where we are. And we also look at what are the beliefs and agreements. So example, if you're somebody that does more than 100% most of the time, what agreement or belief might be driving that behavior? If you're somebody that does less than 100% most of the time, what might be driving that behavior? And the way we can know is, is people that tend to operate more than 100%, tend to get sick, tend to burn out, tend to drop a lot of stuff because they're trying to do too much. And sometimes the belief around that might be, I have to always produce. I, also ha- I always have to be giving. That, that's the agreements that can trap us in trying to do too much in our life. Mm-hmm. And doing less, people procrastinate, they don't go for their goals, they hold themselves back. And we all do some of each of these things. And the agreements might be, I'm not deserving, I'm going to do it wrong. And so we hold ourselves back. I see 100% is that we find what our edge is and that we're living right at our edge. And so it's a little scary. When you're living at your edge, it's it's a little like, whoa, can I do this? And for me, that's that feeling of 100% is I'm stretching, but I'm not throwing myself over the cliff. So there is a feeling of stretch here that I'm always kind of like bringing so much attention to what I'm bringing that it kind of ups the ante in a way in terms of yeah 
But it's not upping the ante because I'm not good enough and I have to up the ante. Right. It's upping the ante because I'm excited and I want to grow. And so just like when you do any sort of sport, if you're going to grow in your sport, like if you're a runner, you don't wake up one day and go, I'm running 26-mile marathon today. You wake up and go, all right, I'm going to run to the end of the block. And that's your 100%. And then you start stretching yourself and growing, and your 100% changes. Right. Well, I guess so that's we the thing. It's where like, we are. I mean, it's like, ah, I did my best. I'm not feeling well today. Right. We can be really honest with ourselves. And there's where it goes back to being impeccable. Right. And you learn. Like, a lot of times you learn in hindsight by going, oh, right, I, I could have actually taken that next step, but I was scared, so I held myself back. Good to know. Then we can change our actions in the future. Okay. So... I think that's all clear. One of the things that really intrigues me in the book is how we're using this, like you said, to create something new and unveil a life and manifest a life that's in alignment with the new agreements that we're putting forth. So how does this link to creativity and then also sexuality? I love that you're bringing that out and you're linking the two of those. So I would love to hear that part of the goddess work. Yes, absolutely. Creativity is so key. And it's about being creative in how we respond to the obstacles that arise in our life. And what the obstacles are, whether the obstacle is an external obstacle or an internal obstacle, they're all internal obstacles. It's the truth. So here's the way I think about it, that when I'm wanting to manifest something or do something different in my life, I set an intent, and that intent is like a seed. And what happens is, so let's say I want to love more, or I want to not take anything personally, or I want this new job, whatever it is we're saying, boom, this is what I want to create. And then what happens is either we live that, we step into it and it manifests, or everything that's between where we are now and where we want to go starts to show up. And they appear as inner obstacles or external obstacles. So we start to notice, oh, I'm taking things personally, or, oh, I don't really believe I can have that job that I want. So that's where we get to be creative. If we can stay open and when an obstacle arises, say, yes, this is exciting. How can I be creative in how I'm in relationship to this obstacle or this block, whatever it might be? Then that's where we get our energy. And really, all of this work is about energy. So if we run into, if we look at obstacles, the question I always ask people is, who gave the obstacle the energy? And the answer is always, we gave the obstacle the energy. We invested our energy in the obstacle. Mm -hmm. And so the good news is, when we own that, when we instead of going, well, it's their fault, they put this obstacle in my way, it's my mother's fault, it's the government's fault, it's whatever, or I'm not big enough, I can't do it. When we just really take our warrior self and look at it and go, okay, I invested my energy in this obstacle, in my belief around this obstacle. The good news is I get to pull my energy out of it. And there's a gazillion creative ways to do that. Hmm. So that's one of the fun things with the book is, is us all relearning how to be creative in our lives mm -hmm. rather than get stuck into it has to be done this way. And sexuality is a huge part of that as well, because our creative energy and our sexual, sexual energy are the same. If you go down to the foundations of sexuality, it's life force energy. It's creativity. And so many of the women have shut down our sexuality and therefore also shut down our creativity. So the whole piece around creativity and sexuality is that we get to own it. It's our energy, and we need all of our energy. And sexuality isn't around, do I have a partner, do I not have a partner? Irrelevant. Sexuality is around our flow and our connection to our own life force energy. And that naturally then, as that starts flowing, if we, we invite it back, our creativity starts to open as well. Right. Right. And that is accessed 
I mean, I guess I'd love to hear a little bit more about that because I think that there are some tremendous blocks, especially when we're, you know, juggling family life and, to, you know, getting in touch with our sexuality and then our creativity. Yeah, absolutely. So it's about doing it in little doses, yeah, little baby steps. So we don't want to overwhelm ourselves or decide I have to change everything or I have to do it all perfectly. We want to be really mindful that we honor all the pieces of our life and look at it as a whole and then begin to sit. One great place to start is to say, okay, where am I losing energy in my life? Where are places that when I interact with a person or a thing or a place, Mm-hmm. that I feel drained or I feel exhausted or I start doubting myself, example. Okay. So we can just start to open and start to scan our lives and go, okay, where am I losing energy? And notice where that place is. And then just ask ourselves, okay, what's a tiny creative solution I could put into place that would help me in this situation? And where we usually go is, oh, my God, I have to cut it out of my life or I have to fix it or I have to be different to stop and just come back to, hi, sweetie, okay, little tiny solution. What's it? just a little tiny tweak that I can make right here? That would be creative. And at first, our brains aren't that creative is what I've noticed, especially as Westerners. We don't have very creative minds in some ways around our own problems. But you can actually, if you start small, you can start growing your creativity around little itty-bitty what's the next step. And what happens is we start to go back inside and listen to our own wisdom. We give ourselves permission to stop and take a breath and feel into something and go, right, losing energy. And it's almost like you say to your body, hey, body, hey, wisdom of my being, hey, energy, look, I'm losing energy here. What should I do? And our beings are so wise. We are so incredibly capable and so infinitely creative. And when we start to tap into that, when we start to go inside, then that part of us starts to wake up and go, oh, you're talking to me? You want me to be creative? Okay. And all of these solutions, and again, little changes start to arise. Mm. Yeah, I mean, the practice piece of this is so key. I love that you can grow your creativity. That's amazing. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's everything. What's helped me tremendously is to start looking at everything as an experiment. Mm -hmm. So instead of, I have to figure this out, I have to do this right. It's like, I'm experimenting with this. Okay. As an experiment, how do I want to be in relationship with it? What, What is the experiment? Right. And it just takes all the pressure off of it Uh and makes it fun, which is where our creativity starts to show up again. Okay, so we're we're basically out of time. I do have one last question. This piece really intrigued me. You know, we talked about women's sexuality, creativity, like being kind of an obstacle. We need to get in touch with that. Light the fire of creativity. One of our superpowers is our intuition. And you make a very big distinction in your book where you say, you know, we really need to get good about just like, you know, distinguishing mental habits or the habits of the mind from intuition. Can you say a little bit more about that? Yes. Our mind is tricky. And our mind sometimes will say, this is my intuition, when it's actually an old habit or belief. And it feels like intuition because it feels comfortable. um, And it feels safe. And so to be willing to not make assumptions around intuition to grow your capacity to know what's actually intuition, what intuition really feels like in your body versus what a thought feels like. Mm -hmm. And I've I've seen for me, and this is different for for different women, but for me, when I'm feeling I'm having an intuition, but it's actually a thought, usually there's, my mind is trying to defend something and there's a grasping, there's an attachment And when it's really intuition, it feels very open. There's a quietness to it. There's a calm. And so I've just learned to track the difference between those two energies and presentations in my body. Mm -hmm. So I believe we learn about what's true about our intuition 
and all of us are intuitive, by looking back and tracking choices that we made and seeing, was that really intuition or was that a strategy? Again, curiosity is huge. Yes. I mean, with all of this. All of it. That don't take Humor, things personal. Humor, patience, yeah. curiosity, yes. All of that. I, you know, that was one of the things at Emerging Women Live that Liz Gilbert, and just in her whole work, you know, Elizabeth Gilbert, it just it's a whole foundation for her work, which I very much appreciate. And after hearing her talk, I'm looking at your work, and I'm like, well, that is like the foundation of everything here. Yes, it awesome. really is. Yeah, so, it really is. Well, thank you so much, Heather Ash. It was such a delight to have you here. And is there anything that you would like to say to our listeners in terms of women who are really in this in the middle of balancing both their inner warrior, which I think we have down, especially women who have survived entrepreneurship or have survived, you know, multiple years within a larger corporation. Um, <laughs> yes. And the goddess side. Any advice that you might have for them? To really keep coming back home is how I, how I see it. Is that what, that's what we're all doing with the warrior and the goddess energy is we're coming back home to ourselves. So many of us have women, as women have spent our lives living outside of ourselves in who we think we're supposed to be. And to honor the, the goddess that we are and the warrior that we are means coming back home to say, I accept and love and will stay with this human expression of life and honor her and grow her as a beautiful flower. We start to really nourish ourselves from the inside rather than punishing ourselves from the outside to be better. Come back home and bring that nourishment through and you'll start flourishing from a really deep centered place. Fabulous. Maybe so for all of us. Yes, and thank you so much, Chantal. Delightful to talk with you. I'm excited to put this all into practice. So thank you so much for your work. You're so welcome. Okay, take care. Bye-bye. Bye.